Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish, a collection of Michael's favorite interviews with authors from the last 30 years through today, on the air, on radio. What sets my book club apart is that I actually read the books. Book Club is now in session. I've been wondering, how does President Trump's refusal to concede impact the White House transition? And I don't mean in terms of staff. I don't mean in terms of the president's daily brief, the intelligence information shared or not shared. I am not thinking about the handoff for a plan of COVID-19 vaccine distribution. I am thinking about the back of the house, or maybe I should say the upstairs of the residence, specifically the second and third floor, because there's a a time-honored tradition that takes place in the span of five crazy hours every four years, assuming there is a change in leadership. And Kate Anderson Brower is the perfect person with whom to discuss this because, among other things, she's the author of the number one New York Times bestseller, The Residence, and First Women, also a New York Times bestseller, and Team of Five, First in Line, and now... A children's book, Exploring the White House. This is Kate Anderson Brower. Hey, Kate, congratulations on the new book. Tell me about that first. Oh, thanks, Michael. Um, well, it's uh, it's for 8- to 12-year-olds, basically. It's geared towards that age range. And um, it, it talks about the building of the White House. It talks about uh, the Adams, uh, John and Abigail Adams moving in. And then also it goes into the people who work at the White House. So it's a, it's kind of a young reader's edition version of the residents and first women because I also have information on the staff. So I profile butlers who I've interviewed and, and really try to shed light on the hard work and dedication of the White House staff and tell kids about this tradition that is honored um, on Inauguration Day, this, as you mentioned, this peaceful transfer of power and how it works inside the White House. And then I also highlight a few very important first ladies like Michelle Obama, uh, Laura Bush handling 9-11. And it's for kids to, to love American history, and I want to develop a few history nerds out there. When I was a kid, I wrote to President Richard Nixon, and you just reminded me that somewhere in a scrapbook at home, I received back a booklet, and it's something along the lines of the first family greets young Americans. And it's it's a picture book of sorts. I have to dig it out, and maybe I'll take a couple of pics and send it to you. But, you know, it was a pre-produced guide that, that when there were individuals like me, you know, with their misguided youth writing to the president of the United States, uh, they had a nice little keepsake that they would send back to you. Oh, I love that. Well, you know, Pat Nixon was obsessive about writing back to everybody who wrote her. Um, so I'm not I'm not that surprised. But some of the funnier things in the book, because I, I have a, a chapter on White House ghosts, I also have uh, that Richard Nixon liked to eat cottage cheese with ketchup every morning. Oof. So he had very eccentric taste. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he, he doesn't he doesn't know that's a peach cottage cheese combo. You know, it's it's funny if my memory's right about this. The the guide that I was sent also contained a little card that had signatures from the president and first lady. And I smudged the president's signature because I was curious as to whether it was real. I went like, is this I I was wise enough to know at age 10 or 12 that there was something called the auto pen. And I wanted to know if I got a real signature. So 
If I find oh, it, no. if I find it, I promise I will tweet it at you, and you'll get a kick out of it. Can we? Please do. Yeah. Can we talk about what typically goes on? In am I right that it's a five-hour time period where it, it's you know out with the old and in with the new? Absolutely. So, I mean, when everyone is looking at the west front of the Capitol when the new president's being sworn in, there are just five hours for the resident staff. And it's all the resident staff doing this, which I think is really surprising to people that they don't hire movers for security reasons. They can't hire movers. Um, it's just too cumbersome a process. And there's literally, and there's a great picture of this, one moving van on the south lawn and another moving van parked on the north lawn. Um, you know, moving one president's things out and another president's and family's things in, and it's all the staff doing it. One one engineer told me he threw his back out moving the Clintons in. You know, they're not used to doing heavy, heavy moving like this. Um, but there's a department at the White House called the Operations Department, and this is really their time to shine, and they're the ones who are leading up the move. Um, but it's remarkable how they all come together and try to make this as seamless a transition as possible. Uh, for for instance, when the Obamas moved in, um, everything was in place. You know, even their toothbrushes were on the, the counter in you know the toothbrush holder, perfectly arranged so that when they came back from the inaugural balls, um, everything was in its place. Do you think that the, the current situation with President Trump continuing to fight and fight and fight, even as the Electoral College is now just a couple of days away from making this final, although I do notice that he's now focusing his attention not on December 16, but on January 6, which is the day that the Congress accepts the findings of the Electoral College. But do you think that has an impact on what's going on behind the scenes that you're so familiar with in terms of staff getting ready to welcome a new first family? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've been in touch with uh, some people who work for Biden. And, you know, in the past, it's been the social secretary, the first lady social secretary, who's doing a lot of this move. And Joe Biden hired Carlos Elizondo, this gentleman who worked for her when she lived in the Naval Observatory. And he just started work on Monday, which I think is fascinating. Um, And I've been told that there are people close to the Bidens who are working on the move, but that this is very complicated, right? Because you have a president who wasn't is still not accepting the results of the election. And his chief usher, who he hired from the Trump Hotel, is responsible for coordinating this massive move. So normally this would be something that would be in place. You'd have the president and the first lady invited to the White House for tea and walkthroughs, and it would all be quite pleasant. But this has become uh, just incredibly difficult. I mean, if Trump you know, he's changing everything so massively. I don't think we even notice how remarkable it is that Melania Trump hasn't invited Dr. Biden to the White House and all these kind of parts of the, the civilities, the things that we expect from our democracy, but are not um, their expectations are not written down as laws or in the Constitution. But I think it takes something away, you know, and I think the staff is I know the staff is very anxious and they've been harder to talk to. Because they're always, you know, since Trump came into office, they're worried about getting fired in a way that I haven't seen them as worried before. They're kind of walking on eggshells just because this administration, you know, you're working for somebody who who likes to fire people on The Apprentice, right? So there's a fear level there. And, 
you know, if Trump doesn't go to the inauguration, that'll be the first president not to attend his successor's inauguration, as you know, since Andrew Johnson 151 years ago. So I think it's terrible. I, I think it's important to remember the way things have gone. I know that you um, are, are also in the same camp, but this is just we don't want children to think that this is the way things go. This is abnormal and hopefully an aberration. Kate Anderson Brower's new book, Exploring the White House. This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. I remember speaking to you and, of course, reading your bestseller, The Residence, and you telling me, correct me if I'm wrong, that among first families, the Bushes, Papa Bush, were really revered by the White House staff. First of all, do I have that recollection correct? Yes. Yes, absolutely. So how yes. do they how do they feel about the Trumps? Um, they do not like the Trump family at all. Uh, the Bushes, um, you know, Barbara Bush uh was a, you know had a countdown clock it was reported in her bedroom for the days until he left office i mean they were definitely not fans of his because everything as you know that bush 41 stood for was about um with you know um holding up this uh idealized version of civility um, he was kind of the, the gold standard of the former presidents, um, not criticizing. I, you know what? I asked, I asked a bad question. What I really meant was, how does the White House staff feel about the Trumps in comparison to, say, hmm. Papa Bush and Barbara Bush? Hmm. That's a harder question to answer. Um, yeah, I don't. You know, they are so guarded. I've been told that, um, you know, that Trump in private on the second floor of the White House is actually, you know, uh, has traditionally, I don't know in the past few months how it's gone, but traditionally they've said that, you know, they see him playing with their, you know, his grandkids. There's a different side of him that you don't normally see. Um, And they kind of, you know, they clam up when talking about it. So I could never get a great answer, but hopefully, you know, Um, As he's out of office, they'll be a little bit more open to talking. Kate, the day of the inauguration, there's a standard drill. And you correct me if I'm wrong, but the outgoing first family, they thank the staff. There might be an exchange of gifts. And then there's the traditional coffee and tea with the incoming first family. And we see the incoming and outgoing president ride together up Pennsylvania Avenue and go to the inauguration. And that's when, at about 10.30, the house gets turned upside down and the moving vans that you described take place, right? Right, right. And then when the president and the first lady come back, uh, the new president and first lady, there's typically a parade on Pennsylvania Avenue, um, and they will, uh, and that's when things are supposed to be close to finish. So, you know, you have... Uh, because there's a luncheon at the Capitol after the swearing-in, usually, you know, you have from 10.30-ish until, you know, 4-ish in the afternoon, and then they go off to the inaugural ball. So it's a very short period of time, and that's why they spend months planning it, and that's what I don't understand with this White House. And then with COVID, you know, there's the question of how are you cleaning the White House, right? We have a, we have a president who doesn't believe uh, in masks necessarily. And so is there going to be a deep clean? I, you know, I'm trying to find that out. 
there's always a cleaning, obviously, but but this, I would think, would have to be at a different level. I, I guess the good news for the Bidens is they, they've certainly spent a lot of time in the White House and they know the lay of the land. It's it's not like perhaps Melania Trump in trying to determine what furniture do we bring from Manhattan and what do we pull from that, that warehouse that you've told me about. Where's the warehouse that I'm making reference to where they can sort of have their pick of the litter of the, the furniture? Well, it's top secret. You know, it's in suburban Maryland, and I'm not even sure. And that's where I live, so I'm not sure. No one will tell me exactly where it is, but they have incredible uh, pieces of furniture that date back to, you know, when the Adams, uh, President Adams, you know, lived in the White House. And so everything is, is, you know, in a special temperature-controlled storage facility. And you're right. I mean, the Bidens lived for eight years in the observatory. They've been to the White House many, many times. Biden and Obama were very close. Um, they've had many dinners in the White House. It's a little different from the Bushes and the Reagans, right, where they weren't upstairs quite as much. So they know what the layout is, and they know what to expect. And they have, I've been told, these trusted aides who are going to make everything come together as seamlessly as possible. But it is a shame that we don't get to see that public uh, celebration. But I almost think that COVID has given a little bit of an out to Trump because he doesn't have to do, no one would, even if he goes to the inauguration, no one would expect him to sit in the car with Biden, right, on the way to That's the a good Capitol. point. Anyway, That's a good point. You know? Yeah, it, it would be like what he did at uh, Walter Reed and was criticized for when he had uh, the Secret Service agents with him. Right. Yeah. So he doesn't have to have this kind of friendly relationship because we don't, ex- you know, just for safety reasons now, even if things were hunky-dory, we would, we, it wouldn't be how it would be done. So, you know, even so I, so I think so much has changed in this year. It's just so strange. It's kind of hard to wrap your head around it. It'll be interesting to see whether the Trumps are even at the White House that day. I mean, we just don't know. I've never seen anything like it, and I guess there's no precedent for it. No, I mean, there have been other presidents who haven't gone, like I said, Andrew Johnson, John Quincy Adams. You know, um, it's always poor form not to go. And, you know, to be a sore loser is never a good thing, right? It's a terrible message to send to our children. Um but we've never seen anything like this, and and uh, and I think so much about this administration, and you know, is that it's like all of these little details are overlooked because of the daily kind of shock of what's happening. But you kind of overlook this part of it, which is important. It's this peaceful transfer of power and how things have always gone. What one final subject, by the way, Kate Anderson Brower's new book, perfectly timed for Christmas for your kids or your grandkids, exploring. The White House. She has the credentials to write on the subject, having already authored the number one New York Times bestseller, The Residents and First Women and also Team of Five First in Line. What what type of planning takes place, if any, for where the former president then lives? In other words, is part of the transition that you've been describing also focused on making sure that the former, soon-to-be former first family, is properly set up wherever they're going? Is there any work being done, say, at Mar-a-Lago or in Bedminster? 
That's a great question. You know, I mean, they really are on their own. There is money allocated for, you know, a staff. I mean, famously, Harry Truman didn't wasn't given any money, and he he was really on his own. Um, and so since then, there's been, you know, there's Secret Service protection. There is a staff for the former president. But um, I interviewed Trump about this topic back in 2018, and he said that uh, that he would probably go to uh, Mar-a-Lago, and you know that would be where he'll probably retire, and that's also where he thinks he'll have his presidential library. But it's not as top of mind for people in terms of of setting that up. They're really kind of left on their own to a certain extent. Um, and I can't imagine him wanting to go to New York. I think Bedminster makes sense. Um, but I don't think that New York City would particularly welcome He seems like right such now. a restless guy, though. I, I, it's not like he's going to go anywhere and just hunker down. And by the way, I know for mm-hmm. sure you're not going to find Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago in, say, June, July, and August. Just not mm-hmm. going to happen. I mean, I think he, he's going to position himself as a Republican kingmaker, right? And you've discussed, you know, the tr- Trump is a former president. Like you said, he's not going anywhere. He's not going to suddenly close down his Twitter account. We're going to be hearing from For him. For sure. I just don't think the media will pay attention. Yeah, right? it might be parlor instead of Twitter. Right. But yes, he's not. Right. How about this? He's not going quietly into that night. Um <sighs> I look forward to reading the children's book, Exploring the White House. And thank you so much. I love, as you know, I love all the back of the house stuff. And I know that it's very, very difficult because, you know, part and parcel of all of this is the the code of never speaking. But you've been able to crack it and give us an insight. So thank you for that. Thank you, Michael. It's always a pleasure. You know a lot about this topic, so thank you. I'd like to know a lot about this topic. I I don't know if I do, but I I certainly am interested. Thank you, Kate Anderson-Brower. Thanks, Michael. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays.